Certainly appreciate that, that that's gone before and want to uh, just grab hold of it quickly before it passes by. In, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, in that next chapter, um, the writing continues, Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that you may increase mightily as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And that's a premise that is carried into the New Testament even in the teaching of Jesus Christ when he uh, told them what he considered was the great commandment. In Hebrews chapter 1 where Brother Bill began is really where I want to latch onto this this morning and appreciate something that's not in the scripture. Um, there seems to be a contrast of how the Lord spoke in diverse manners in time past and then how he speaks in these last days. Like he spoke by the prophets and now he speaks by his son. However, if you look at the language of these verses, there is not a contrast presented because we don't have a word of contrast like the word but. It doesn't say he spoke in that way, but now he speaks to us by his son. What it says is God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us. In other words, there's continuity here, not contradiction. Uh, there's not uh, a necessarily a, a change at all in the message. Is that the Lord who hath spoken one way, he continues to speak unto his people, and that we live in a time that the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter and the Apostle John all in their writings define and describe as the last time or the last days. And here it says, Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. So Paul here, as he addresses the Hebrews, and this is very much in the writing of Hebrews, is a writing that establishes and reestablishes and reengages the preeminence of Jesus Christ. It's very much a book that speaks about Jesus Christ. And it starts with this understanding that Jesus Christ, there's great continuity in Jesus Christ, not conflict with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is that eternal God that has no beginning and no end. And that the message that comes to us by Jesus Christ is from the same fountainhead of God. That Jesus Christ, though, is particular and special in this way, that he is the express image of God. The God who was invisible is now making himself visible. Now that's something that God does on purpose. And to know God is something that God allows and God permits. No man has ever figured out God against his will. Um, when God manifests himself, when he declares himself, it's an act of God. And as Brother Bill taught us this morning, it's an act of love of God that he would display himself that way. So what we see is Jesus Christ is this voice of God, but he's no longer an invisible uh, voice of God. He is manifest and declared. And here, uh, Paul is akin to John who wrote, we saw him, we handled him with our hands, the word of life. So we have been uh, brought to a place where we've seen him. And I want to consider this uh, with you this morning as we turn to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, 
uh, is a place where we'll find a couple of really good questions and a couple of really good answers. All right, so Matthew chapter 16, and the Lord is, is uh, dealing with his disciples, teaching them, teaching them things about their, their day and about uh, days to come. And in verse 13, so Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, says, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Now, there's some other words mixed in here, but what you can draw out of it is, I am. Right? Jesus said, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Now, we can move the words around a little bit this morning and say, Jesus Christ said, I am the Son of Man. Right? And whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? I believe it's fair to say here that Jesus Christ is identifying himself. He says, I am the Son of Man. Now we know that Jesus Christ is also the Son of God, and him being the Son of God did not make him less the Son of Man, and him being the Son of Man didn't make him less the Son of God. And it's going to be important for us to understand and realize and appreciate the blessing that is to us that he's the Son of God, and also that he's the Son of Man. For he took upon him the likeness of sinful flesh, not upon him the, the nature of angels, but of Abraham's seed, and he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, to save his people. But the question is, whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And in the next verse, what we have is, I believe, a faithful reckoning. I believe that the disciples are accurately reporting, well, here's what we've heard says, they said, the disciples said, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias and, or Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. I believe that's true. I believe that there are people who were making that testimony of Jesus Christ. Many things had been said about Jesus Christ. Some believe that, they, that he was John the Baptist. Some believe that he was Jeremiah, Elijah. Some believe that he was a charlatan. Some believe that he was Beelzebub. Right? They, there were those who accused him of casting out devils by the power of the devil himself. There are those who believe he was a blasphemer. The Apostle Paul, when he was Saul of Tarsus, believed that Jesus Christ was a blasphemer. Right? So there was, among the reports of men, probably all along the spectrum, there were terribly wrong things being said about Jesus Christ. So here's the question of Jesus Christ. Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Then we have this report, and... The report is true, but the report isn't good, right? Here's what men say. Some say you're this, some say you're that, some will even say this. What was Christ's response to that prognostication? What was his position on that statement? You know, when he heard what men said about him. Well, one, do you think this was the first time that Christ became acquainted with what men said about him? No, he's the all-knowing God. So he knew what people were saying about him. And that's actually something I want to draw out this morning. Jesus Christ knows when and what people are saying about him. Okay? So he knew, so like so many questions that Christ had for his disciples, the question was for their learning. Right? It was important for them to hear and to say, well, here's what people say. Now, to that, let's think about what could have been a reasonable um, reaction. Could Jesus Christ have said, hold it. I'm none of those things. I'm not the... Matter of fact, stop what we're doing. We need to go out and set the record straight. As a matter of fact, from now on, this is going to be the focus of my ministry is to set the record straight and tell men 
who I am and find anybody who thinks I'm Jeremiah and tell them I'm not. And those who think I'm a blasphemer, I want to make sure that they understand that I'm not. It's really important to me what men think of me. Is that the response? It could have been, right? It wouldn't have been altogether unreasonable. I mean, if, if I, you know, if you ask me, what, what do people think of me? And I told you, well, here's what they really think of you. Like, oh my gosh, I guess it's a terrible report. Now, what the report that came back wasn't, uh, I believe it was true, but it was not kind. It was not a reflective of who Jesus Christ is. And yet Jesus Christ's response isn't, we've got to fix the wrongness of that answer, right? In other words, I'm not going to leave this world until every man, woman, and child has it down who I am, right? That wasn't evidently his concern. What it does say is after that report came, he saith unto them, but... Now here's a contrast, right? Jesus Christ says, okay, that's what some men say. That's what Saul of Tarsus is saying. That's what uh, some, some of the clerics are saying. That's what some of the Stoics are saying. That's what some of the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're all going to have their rendering. They're all going to have their opinion. But Jesus Christ says, but whom say ye that I am? And once again, we find that phrase, I am. This was a phrase that held great power for the Jews all the way back to the Old Testament. When God identified himself, he said, I am. And well, which I am? I am that I am that spoke to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Oh, that I am. Right? It's not like I am what I am. Like, I am the, the great self-existent, self-describing God with no beginning and no end who has impressed and expressed himself to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I am the God of your fathers. I'm the God who delivered your fathers. So the world says I'm something else, but whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered. Now, if we know Simon Peter's track record, we know that there are some times that Peter got ahead of himself, Right? There's some times that Peter expresses what I think. Like, oh, I know. I know the answer. Ooh, 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 me. Mr. Kata, Mr. Kata, right? Like, I know the answer. Some of you are too young to understand who that is, right? But, ooh, ooh, answer. I have the answer, right? I know. Uh, there are many times that Peter got out in front of things, in front of himself, and said things, and even as he was saying them, there were, there were things, <laughs> the storms were starting to gather overhead. This is a time that's different. And the reason this is different, the Lord's going to make pretty clear why it's different. But Simon Peter answered and said, Now again, this is not the answer of whom what men say. This is the specific answer of whom do ye say that I, the Son of Man, am. And Simon Peter answered and said, Now how about this? How about let's give a really safe answer. All right? Jesus just said, whom do you say that I, the Son of Man, am? Hint, hint. Right? I'd say, I believe you're the Son of Man. Right? Wouldn't that be the safest answer if Jesus just said, Who do people say that I, the Son of Man, am? I'd say, or whom do you say that I, the Son of Man, am? I'd say, you're the Son of Man. I mean, if you say it, that's, that's good enough for me. Right? But what Peter said, he answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Yeah. Now, Brother Bill already taught us in the Old Testament, 
how important and present God was in manifesting that he was the living God. Now, what Peter just answered, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God, that stood in bold contrast to what men said. Okay? What he just re reported about who Jesus Christ is, is not what people were saying about Jesus Christ. Were there some who said, this is the Christ, the son of the living God? Yes, there were some in that company. But in general, the takeaway, who, who do you say, who do men say that I am? It was not that he was the Christ, the son of the living God. But Peter, when asked, whom do ye say that I, the son of man, am? He answered, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, before we get too far from this, one thing that I think is very important is it seems to me that the Lord is saying, I care more what you say about me than what they say about me. Right? Because one is a false witness, and the Lord could have gotten indignant and said, we must fix the false witness. Instead, he said, but what do you say about me? And then came forth the true witness, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, the Christ is the chosen or the anointed, or the appointed of God. So Peter, while he has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, the way he identifies who Jesus Christ is, is not, you're my Savior, but you are God's anointed. Okay? Now, he is both. He is Jesus Christ, and he's Christ Jesus. And that means he is Christ from God's perspective, and he's Jesus from our perspective, and he's Christ from our perspective, and he's Jesus from God's perspective, right? Because we see him as God's appointed and anointed and as our Savior, and God sees him as his chosen, his appointed, his selected, and our Savior. You see, we didn't do the choosing, God did. And God didn't need the saving, we did. But it's like there's this one man, Christ Jesus, who could fill that void, who could be the chosen of God and the Savior of his people. And his name shall be Jesus Christ. Like there was really no other option. This is God with us. This is Emmanuel, God with us. This is the Lord's chosen, and this is the Savior of his people. Now, you've heard this passage of Scripture before. I want to just take a little different angle on it all right now anytime a preacher says he's going to take a different angle on it you ought to grab the pew a little bit right i'm not trying to shake things up right not trying to bring any new light to you but i do want to shed light on something that i believe is here okay so far what has been the focus who is jesus christ and what are people saying about him what is the world? What are the externals saying about him? And then what are the internals? What are my disciples? What are my people saying about me? Now, how sad would it have been if you said, what does the uneducated, non-connected, anti-Christ in the world say about me? They say, well, some say you're Jeremiah, some say you're Elijah, some say you're John the Baptist. Well, whom do you say that I am? Pretty much the same. That would be terrible. Terrible for those unto whom Jesus revealed himself, they ought to have a different answer. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, it says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Amen. Right. So those unto whom Jesus Christ has manifest himself, we had better have a different answer 
than those unto whom he hasn't revealed himself. If not, what's the power, what's the worth, what's the value in the revelation of Jesus Christ? Right? What if, what if you couldn't tell a disciple from a non-disciple? Wouldn't that be a sad situation? It is a sad situation. Because, see, I'm a disciple, and sometimes I don't look like a disciple. And it ought not be that way. But here's what Jesus Christ said. Whom do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him. Now, here's what I want to draw out for just a few moments. So far, everything is about who Jesus is, about his name, about what they think of him and what they call him, right? But look at Jesus' answer. Jesus answered and said unto him. And if we look back to verse 16, just for a parallel, verse 16, it says, Simon Peter answered and said. Verse 17 says, Jesus answered and said, right? So now Jesus is answering Peter and says, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. Now, who is Simon Barjona? Simon Barjona is Simon, the son of Jonah. And this is Simon, who is Peter, who is standing right there, who just said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, I don't know how many people were there, but why do you think, or maybe we just ask the question, why, why is it that the Lord said, Simon Barjona? Right? Like, what, what was the necessity? I mean, we're talking about who Jesus is and who everybody thinks Jesus is. And in this moment, Jesus Christ said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. It sounds to me like whatever Jesus Christ is saying, he is saying to Simon Barjona. Right? He is specifically addressing his comment to Simon Barjona. Simon Barjona is a very real, very living person with natural faculties that just said something and can hear things. And Jesus said, Simon Barjona. Okay. Now, throughout the ministry of Jesus Christ, you will find where Jesus Christ addressed people by name. Quite often, actually. Okay. Now, when Jesus Christ addresses someone by name, and I'll, I'll challenge you to think about it and look upon it, but there is great purpose when Jesus Christ calls someone by name. Okay? Usually, it is a very personal connection. Okay? Now, Jesus is not addressing all the men in the world and what they say about him. He's actually not even addressing all the disciples collectively and what they say about him. He's speaking specifically to Simon Barjona. One person, at one time, he says, Blessed art thou... Simon Barjona, like you individually, and if I could right now, I would insert your name. I would go through each and everybody in this congregation, right? But the Lord can do it that way, and he said, blessed art thou. He didn't say you're among the blessed. He said, blessed art thou. In other words, Simon Barjona, you have a very particular blessing right now. Amen. You've just said something that tells me that at this moment, Simon Barjona personally is quite blessed. Okay. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee. Now, is it a blessing when flesh and blood 
reveals the name of Jesus Christ, that is a blessing. Whenever you read the gospel, whenever you hear the gospel, whenever the gospel is preached, that's a blessing. But you remember that Jesus Christ also told his people that there were those who had not seen and would believe and what a blessing that might be. Here's a special blessing that the Lord is telling Simon Barjona. Blessed art thou, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee. Now it's a blessing when flesh and blood reveals it, but there apparently are some things that maybe flesh and blood can't reveal. And in this case, we at least know this, flesh and blood did not reveal this to Simon Barjona. Okay? He got the question right. Okay? But where and how did Simon Barjona know that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God? Where did he get that answer? Well, we know this much. Jesus says, flesh and blood did not reveal it unto thee. So we know where he didn't get the answer. Okay? If we keep reading, we may even see where he got the answer. Right? Flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Okay, there's a blessing. Blessed art thou, Simon Bardona, for my Father in heaven hath revealed unto you that I am Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now I want to take one word here and just emphasize it again uh, briefly. Um, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Okay? Simon Barjona has received a manifest witness of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, verse 18. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter. Now, this is an interesting phrase and one that I believe has caused some... Um, uh, misunderstanding, right? Because let's read this verse together. I say unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Okay. Now, one way to take that passage of scripture is that Jesus is saying, you are Peter, and upon Peter I will build this church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Um, I don't believe any of us would take that from the scripture. Matter of fact, even those who would highly esteem Peter, even those who might even build a religion around a, a, a papal order even, um, probably would not take up from this that the church is built on Peter. Right? Peter might have been a great disciple, great apostle, and we're going to find great things written and preached of him. But even if you're so inclined, you would have to twist and work to get that Jesus Christ is really saying that it's all about Peter, right? Because it's really not all about Peter. Um, however, here's where I'm going to go out on a limb a little bit, Brother Reed. Right now, something is about Peter, right? Because he said, thou art Simon Barjona, and I say unto thee that thou art Peter, right? Now, I don't believe Peter is the rock upon which the church is built, I don't believe, even if it were, then let's look at that and say, did the gates of hell ever pre prevail against Peter? Well, they certainly availed against him. Matter of fact, before I turn the page in my Bible, Jesus Christ speaks to the same Simon Barjona Peter and says, get thou behind me, Satan. Yeah. All right, so uh, however, however well you think things are going to go for Peter, before I even turn the page, the same Lord that says, blessed are you that my Father hath revealed unto you, he says, looking into the same eyes, speaking to the same individual, says, get behind me, Satan. Right? 
that is a day, right? That is a bipolar day. Like, you think you have some good days and some bad days. Peter, how was your day? Well, it was the best day and it was the worst day. Like, how do you describe that? I think the way I would describe it is the Lord told me I was blessed. And I think I would probably uh, downplay the fact that he called me Satan, right? I think I would, I would, that wouldn't make the top ten things of how well the day went, right? But what I want to draw to your attention here is what I believe. Now, the easy answer is that Jesus Christ is the rock upon which the church is built, okay? That's, we can't go wrong if we say that, right? Because Jesus Christ, throughout the New Testament, he's taught as a rock, he is that rock in Zion. He is the rock that's refused to the builder. He's the chief and cornerstone. He's a rock of stumbling and offense. I am that elect and pride, uh, tried and precious stone. So if you want to go there, you've got a lot of good scripture to, to hold it up. All right. However, in the context right here, I believe something has just happened that Jesus Christ is saying will be front and center and pivotally important in the New Testament church. And it is the public profession of faith in Jesus Christ. Okay. Jesus Christ has been the rock from before the foundation of the world. Okay. That didn't change based on what men were saying about him. didn't change based on what Peter was saying about him. But what Jesus Christ is saying is, in the midst of all this false testimony, in the midst of this world that is so inhospitable to the name of Jesus Christ, God has revealed it unto some that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, and the redeemed are willing to say so. And where and as long as there are people who will say, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, the church will live and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Okay? There's something very special that happens in the church. And it is the public profession of our faith in Jesus Christ. If we were willing to sign off on taking any one of those words out, okay, let's not make it so public. What would make us want to take the public out of the public profession of faith? How about if we were persecuted to the point of death? We might be willing to say, maybe this is something we should do in private. Like, you know, we love the Lord and He loves us. And since it's so dangerous... Maybe he would be okay with us doing it in private. But he promised this public profession of faith in his name is a foundation which will prevail. So we ought never get to a place that we're willing to say that being a Christian is not a public exercise. That you should, this should show on you. Okay? This is not something that we internalize so that we're not uh, persecuted. The Apostle Peter here was willing to say something that was not popular. And we ought to be willing to say it whether it's popular or not. Okay? It's also not just public, but it is a profession. Okay? A profession is when you say something about someone. Okay? A confession is when we say something about ourselves. But a profession, you know, like there's a math professor, an English professor, they profess that, that philosophy, they profess that truth, and we are to be professors of Jesus Christ. When someone walks into your classroom, they ought to know what you're a professor of, right? If you're an English professor, when they go into your room, what do you think they might expect that you would profess? 
and teach and engage in and resemble and exemplify. Your, your profession is English. You're an English professional. Some of you are professionals and you go to work and you know what they pay you to do? What you're paid to do, right? That's when I've gotten in trouble at work is when I don't do what I'm getting paid to do and I do something else instead because it's easier and more fun. <laughs> like that's not what we pay you to do. We are professionals. We are professional disciples of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We are to profess our faith publicly, a public profession of our faith. And see what faith is, is faith is something that's inside, but it, 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 it's, it's something that God has placed there that comes out. Okay? Faith starts on the inside and goes out. Faith is not something that ends up inside from an outside external force like, you know, discipleship or preaching or something, putting it in. Okay? God puts that faith within us, and then that faith is to manifest itself. And it feeds that profession. If the faith isn't there, there won't be that profession. That's what Jesus Christ said about Peter. You're blessed because my Father hath revealed it unto you. My Father has put faith within you, and now you're doing, Peter, with faith what you should do. You should make a public profession of your faith. Now, I'm out of time, but I just want to um, draw this out before we, we close. Evidently, Peter is participatory in this exercise. He has made a public profession of faith in Jesus Christ. And I believe that when someone says that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, God knows about it. God knows when there's false witness against him, and he knows when there's true witness for him. And what the Lord is saying is, Peter, you are making this profession. And as part of that, that profession, that public profession of your faith, is the rock upon which I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Okay? Christ is the rock of the church, but what church is all about is making a public profession of our faith. It says, um, uh, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Verse 20, it says, Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. Now that's strange. He just told Peter how blessed he was that he made this profession. Now he tells them, but tell no man. Let's keep going. In, verse, um, uh, in Matthew chapter 17, there's the transfiguration where Peter, James, and John see Jesus Christ transfigured on that mountain. And in verse 7, it says, Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and be not afraid. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. And as they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them saying, Tell the vision to every man. No, he said, tell the vision to no man until the Son of Man be risen from the dead. We're entering a very special time in the ministry of Jesus Christ where it was about to be very much about him doing the work that he came to do and the focus was going to be upon that and I don't think it was necessarily a time of great discipleship and evangelism, right? He said, now is not the time, right? Because can you imagine signing on at that point and then seeing what was to come? What we find is that there was going to be a great uh, encouragement to those that would follow Jesus Christ after his resurrection from the dead. And so he had said, tell no man, even though he said this is such a great profession, Peter, that you have. He says, tell no man. But let's see, by the end of Matthew, what's changed? We were at Matthew chapter 16. We get to Matthew chapter 28. And it says, uh, and they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, all hail. This is the resurrected Christ. 
speaking to these Marys that went to the sepulcher. They came and beheld him by the feet and worshipped him. Then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid, go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there shall they see me. And in verse 16, And then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded unto you. And lo, I am with you always, always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Something changed from don't tell anybody to now tell them, teach them, and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And what had happened was, the work that he came to do, he accomplished. He finished. And now there is a great time for men and women and children to press into the kingdom of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And that foundation that he said was built before, that foundation of public profession of faith in Jesus Christ, now even today, alive and well, and we are encouraged to preach in the name of Jesus Christ, to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And what is that? What is that when someone will be baptized? What is it when we would open these curtains, we would move this furniture, and we would collect and watch someone be baptized? It is someone making a public profession of faith in Jesus Christ. And it is the very foundation upon which the church is built. And as much as it's about Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is present there and it's a very personal thing for the person who makes that public profession of faith. Thou art Peter. Thou art Jimmy. Thou art Mike. Thou art David. Thou art Marilyn. And you're making a public profession of faith in my name, and I'll be there and receive that praise. That's why there is a call. That's why there is a commandment unto the, uh, the disciple of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to make the public profession of faith, to rise up, to stand up where others may not stand up, to say what other people may not say, and say, I want to be a member of the church. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I'm willing to be baptized. I'm willing to take that name upon myself. I'm willing to be a Christian in name and in word and in deed. And honor and glorify this one who has wrought so much for me. And what Jesus Christ said is, that is going to happen. It's going to happen throughout these last days and it's going to happen until I come again. There will be people who by the grace of God are willing to stand and say, I am beloved of God and I love God, and He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. If you have a desire to join the church, you'd have that opportunity as we stand and sing. Anyone have a number? 